everyone, Allison here with a quick message about another way that you can continue to support our show. Just over a year ago, we launched a storefront on TeePublic. This is where we have artist-hosted designs, we have designs by some of you, and amazing merchandise with everything from Big Ben Energy to Kirsten Forever Designs. Please be sure to follow some of our links and to check it out today. So Mary, after I finished my read of this most recent Caroline book, I kind of had an epiphany. I'm listening. Okay, so this is a spoiler right out the gate. In this book, we learn that Caroline has to save her father, but I'm only mentioning this because I think her father might actually be an ancestor of Neil Diamond. (laughs) Uh Oh, huh? Excuse me? So if you've ever been to a sports ball game in our area, you may have heard people singing Sweet Caroline and saying good times never seem so good. I feel like that's Caroline reflecting on old times with her father. Here's the thing. Caroline has to help her father literally out of the woods. Look at the night and it don't seem so lonely. He's been in the woods alone. We filled it up with only two. And when I hurt, hurting runs off your shoulders. How can I hurt when holding you? They literally (gasps) hobble out of the woods together. Wow. I thought you were going to go into like an out of the woods reference to Taylor Swift. No, I I think she's of a different lineage. Wow. And maybe like he has a red sock by the time he gets home because (laughs) he's bleeding because no one is providing adequate medical care. Yeah. I mean, I I do think this is an alternate origin story for a certain sports team. And, you know, I will expect royalties. Okay. I think that makes sense. Welcome to American Girls, the podcast where we're reliving the American Girl series book by book. I'm Mary. I'm still Allison. And here we are to talk about Sweet Caroline. You know, I don't know if this book felt so good, so good, but <laughs> here we are. I mean, it is set in the spring. I, instead of growing strong, I do feel like it's it's like wearing me down. <laughs> but um, yes. This was not my favorite Caroline story, but in the context of all the books we've read, it is still a story I enjoyed. I think we're taking turns on this series because last book really sent me into a spiral and I was not feeling it. And this is kind of your turn to do that. I was just very confused about what we read. I'll just say that I'm really confused. I think you're right to be confused. And I also think like we're coming at this after a wonderful watch along where we got to enjoy some stories about young women, like really coming for each other. And this book finds Caroline in a, a skiff situation, a skiff situation that she has to wow. solve by hacking a boat apart wow. with her pals and then saving her father in the woods. So it was a little all over the place for me. It was a lot all over the place. I mean, she didn't recognize her own dad. So there's that. I mean, (sighs) how Christy Thomas is that, though? I was just going to say, like, Christy Thomas in an iconic moment of season two says, I'll be the project manager, obviously. And it's like, this was a book in which everyone was crying out for a project manager. Yeah. Or should I say Caroline was the self-appointed project manager and I was crying out for a different project manager. 
Agreed. And we also learned that this version of Christy Thomas, so the new 2021 reboot of Babysitter's Club, she makes everyone take personality tests. Now, if you came over to my house and I did that, would you run away or would you accept the title that I gave you? Well, in fairness, in just like calling myself out, I did once force everyone to take the love language quiz at my house unsolicited for my own purposes. So I can't say like I really like I have done a version of that, I guess. So, I mean, I don't know how you felt about it. I think you were there, but I mean, I guess I would do that. So, I mean, Christy comes at them pretty aggressively and then gives everyone a title. And in a shocking turn of events, new member Mallory leaves a ton of them blank. So it's like what started as a pretty simple multiple choice turns into a Rorschach. And it's like Mallory is going to prison. In a sense, yes. And it did recall the history of Ellis Island, which is the first site in the United States to administer IQ tests, like no big deal. But just saying like, most IQ and personality tests are used to control labor and offer surveillance. So in a sense, like Mallory did the right thing, even though I believe she is the messiest member of the club. I'm just going to yeah. put that on front street. So I don't know. We're, I'm not done with season two yet, but I like what I'm seeing. I do feel like Christy is setting herself up for a future in Silicon Valley. I feel like that's definitely kind of where she's Oh my headed. God. Allison, I can't speak on that right now because I'm so deep in Elizabeth Holmes territory at the <laughs> moment. Like I've, I'm listening to both podcasts. I read Bad Blood as did you. We watched the documentary. I can't wish that for Chris. I cannot wish an Elizabeth Holmes future for Christy Thomas. No, can't do that. I do think she would do the proper research and development. I do think her products would be legit. But I think the kind of megalomaniac working 18 hours a day, not washing her hair, developing a distinctive voice, I think that all fits. Yes, I, I do think that fits. Like, I'm going to cite another show that I watch that ages me approximately 60 years, but I do watch CBS <laughs> Sunday morning every week, as you know. And this week they did a story on the supply chain issue and they had someone from the Port Authority who's like big up, high up in the Port Authority, this woman who was like, gave me strong Christie energy. And I was kind of mm. like, I could see her doing that or like running a government agency or something like that. I mean, if it was a Silicon Valley move, like that would be tragic for me, but. I don't know as much as I should. I love to invoke shipping containers. I will be talking about maritime trade in the early 19th century. And then I'll say, you know, this is still relevant today. And I'll just say shipping containers. And it's like, okay. you can. <laughs> you, fill in the, you fill in that shipping container yourself. You. Visitor. You fill in that shipping container size blank. You know, we, we had things brought to our attention this summer with certain things getting stuck. Like, I don't want to name names but you know we had that situation and then cut to today it's like we are still heavily reliant on maritime trade we just don't recognize it i think that's true <laughs> and also like you know talking about roadways and our own infrastructure you know we heard a lot about infrastructure week and i guess like it's always infrastructure week or it's never been infrastructure week i can't tell but i do think that that's a major issue hiding in plain sight you know, that few people want to focus on because it's not sexy. But as we learned at the end of West Wing, like that's what CJ Craig told a billionaire to fund. She was like, it's not sexy, but you should build roads. Thank you. I'm just going to say this when we were, you know, graduate students of history, I'll just invoke it directly. When these books came out, 
did we or did we not have a person in our program tackling basically every mode of early 19th century transport? Like we had a turnpike guy. We had a canal guy. Like we just had a person for each thing that was like, oh, turnpikes. Yeah, that's why I'm here. I remember sending the the canal guy a message when Kanye put out Love Lockdown. And I was like, if you're not using this in your teaching and your scholarship, like getting people into locks, like, I'm sorry, I can't help you. <laughs> was it used? I don't believe he responded to my message, but. <laughs> I mean, this you know book has taken him. me back, right? It was like there was a time in our lives where there was a mode of transport for every student. And you were, let's just, I'm sorry, the people need to know it. Like you were in your presidential biography phase. Sure. Yeah. I was in my playground phase. Like we all had different. We all had moments. Like we all have moments in time, like things that you get into, like fads, whatever. It's just, you know, there was a time when I thought I was going to do the history of the campaign biography. Like that was a moment in the sun for me. And I've moved on from that. But, you know, you have had different moments in the sun. Truthfully, like a shock to me. So Caroline takes a chance, the subject of, you know, our meeting today that we've convened with all of you came out pretty much right as Barack Obama was elected to a second term. And honestly, like speaking completely seriously, this book is only nine years old. So it's like the same age as Caroline-ish. That feels so much longer ago. Agree or disagree? Agree. Like, it feels like it's been 20 years since August. So, like, my sense of time is off big time. But that's true. I believe that's true. Like, apparently around this time, approximately a decade ago, I was very big into sharing memes of Occupy Wall Street that had Sesame Street characters (laughs) involved. And I was thinking, like, wow, has it really only been that much time? Like, there was an entire kind of movement of, like, situating Big Bird within that context and truly just another moment in our nation's history, I think. Yeah. You know, a beautiful time. Like, I'm glad the Muppets were involved. I'm glad they played a role for you. Like They all did. Great. Yeah. I watched um, Muppets Haunted Mansion a couple days ago. You know, How was that? It was beautiful. I love the Muppets. I didn't connect them to Occupy Wall Street, though. So thank you for that. You're welcome. And stay tuned at the end. We'll announce what our Halloween watch along is and other things that are coming up for us this month. We chose something a little bit offbeat for our October Patreon, and I am really enjoying it, and I hope that you will too. So we'll talk a bit more about that. Yeah, if you're not on our Patreon, like, honestly, what are you waiting for? For $3 a month, (laughs) you get access to a Discord community where people honestly are having, like, the craziest convos all day long, myself included. You know, we have channels for music. We have channels for what people are watching on TV, pop culture stuff, books you're reading, crafts people making. Hello, Caroline Craft Fair. Caroline Craft Fair. We do watch alongs. We just watch Babysitter's Club. We're going to watch a movie at the end of the month. And you also get access to our extra episode a month, which is going to be on a book that we will reveal at the end. So, you know, for the cost of like not even a Dunkin' drink of your choice, you know, honestly, we get to chat with you and it's so fun. It's such a great opportunity. It's such a great community, honestly. It's like perhaps the only kind place left on the internet. (laughs) Yeah, it's really a pleasurable place to be for both of us. I know that we like to kind of go in there and see what folks are chatting about. Also, someone today, you know, came out and said it like our Lisa Frank American Girl crossovers by uh, Rebecca Doyle 
who formerly was an intern with the podcast, she was like, this was it, right? Like I've waited, this was it. So I don't know what your this is it moment will be. But, you know, we also take a lot of suggestions and we love when we get to do things that you want to hear. So. Of course. And, you know, as Kelly Clarkson would say, some people, a lifetime for a moment like this. And, you know, maybe this is your moment. And, you know, I would love a Lisa Frank AG crossover t-shirt. But again, we do have to navigate some copyright waters. We'll see what happens. We'll (laughs) see what happens. Speaking of navigating copyright waters, shall we? Hey everyone, Allison here with a quick message from one of our sponsors. Thousands of women have taken back control of their hair with Nutrafol. Many have been raving that this supplement not only transformed their hair, but helps with their confidence too. Nutrafol offers two targeted formulas for women that are clinically shown to improve hair growth and thickness with less shedding. Healthy hair takes time. You may begin to experience thicker, stronger, and faster growing hair in three to six months. 86% of women reported improved hair growth after that six-month period, and more than 1,500 doctors recommended Nutrafol as an effective solution for healthier hair. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code AmericanGirls. This will save you $15 off your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere and is only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Get free shipping on every order and $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code AmericanGirls. So as a lead-in to this episode, I would like you to rank, I'm going to change up the rules a little bit more, including our own Caroline Abbott, I would like you to rank from most to least likely, and you only have to do like the tail and the front ends of this, or, you know, the starboard and the port, if you will. I will Um, never remember which is which of that, but okay. (laughs) Who's most likely to be helpful in a maritime crisis? So I'm just going to kind of like drop these through. Uh, The imagined Caroline ancestor in the Neil Diamond song, Sweet Caroline. Okay. Caroline Ingalls. Interesting. Caroline Abbott, of course, of this. Caroline Kennedy. Wait, the plane named after her or the actual person? I'm going to let you pick. Okay, thank you. Because <laughs> I like that question. Caroline Ray of <gasps> Sabrina the Teenage Witch fame. Oh thank God. you. Mm-hmm. Caroline B. Cooney, just because I'm making the list and I like her okay. books. Cool. And finally, the Caroline invoked in the Outcast song, Roses. <laughs> <laughs> um... Wow, this is tough. All of them are equally ill-suited to a moment like this, not to again bring Kelly Clarkson to this conversation, but I do think I would love to give the nod to Caroline Ray because I believe that she has been confronted with very difficult career moments and she has navigated those waters with what I'll call grace and a plume. So I'm picking Caroline Ray. Didn't expect that but here we are. Not even Caroline Ingalls. Sorry, I'm not doing that. But Caroline Ray, if you're out there, I'm thinking about you. And who would you say is least equipped? Hmm. I'm holding up my book, Caroline (sighs) Abbott. That's harsh. That's harsh. Sorry, but I'm sorry. That's just where we're at at this time. I mean, Caroline Kennedy person, also least likely plain. I actually think I'm giving the middle (laughs) between the averages. Do you not recall that in the Outcast song, she crashes into a ditch while trying to apply makeup yeah 
that that was a tragic detail that did lead me to leave it off the list but i didn't want to name it as least out of respect for outcast whose work i do enjoy okay that's fine i agree with that I mean, are we ready for this? <laughs> we are. So, I mean, we opened with a spoiler. I do think there's like a few plot points that are useful with Caroline Takes a Chance. I just want to start with a direct appeal to the author, which is this. When you put a chance in your title and you think I'm not going to think about Hillary Duff for three hours straight, I have not wow. stopped thinking about Hillary Duff's Why Not since starting and reading <laughs> and rereading this book, and it haunts me. So anyway, let's do a quick summary. While Caroline is out fishing one spring day, she sees a British warship about to capture an American boat. With only an instant to decide what to do, Caroline takes a daring risk to try to save the day. She's been trying to be brave, like she promised Papa, but would he be proud of her now? Missing him terribly, Caroline visits their special fishing spot on the shore of Lake Ontario. She hopes to find comfort there, but instead makes a startling discovery. The illustrated Looking Back section discusses transportation and medicine in the early 1800s. Listen, I need to say two things. One, <laughs> it's not related to Caroline. The title of this book to me, the musical reference I take from Caroline Takes a Chance is Abba's Take a Chance on Me, which again takes me to the moment when you first saw my iTunes library and you were like, there's an uncomfortable amount of Abba on here. <laughs> okay, point one. Point two, like, thank you for bringing Hillary Duff into this conversation. But to me, I just keep thinking of coming clean, yeah, which itself is like the perfect hallmark of late stage capitalism to my mind, but also to this book in terms of like her getting real with herself about her, the degree to which she's ill-equipped to handle any of this. Here's the thing that I didn't love about this summary, and there was actually a like a lot to like about it. However, what it was missing for me was the opening scenes where we're getting a little bit more insight into how things are going. And Rhonda and Caroline are having this discussion that they both miss their fathers. And Caroline has this expression that there's this like papa-shaped hole in her heart, right? Like this place in her heart for her father just feels really empty. And that's what spurs this fishing trip. Here's the thing that I do think our listeners need to know if they're not reading along. The crux of this book is that Caroline is going to find her father in their special fishing spot. She could have found him days earlier if she had not been selfish on the aforementioned fishing trip, which was meant to cheer up Rhonda. I'm just going to put it out there. And it's also like Rhonda drops out of this book immediately. You would have think yep. you would thought she was used as an obstruction to keep the British <laughs> vessel from entering that, you know, whatever, so that they couldn't follow the um, supply boat. It was so strange that she was like, I can never go back to that fishing spot with Papa. No. Without Papa, no way. I'm not going there. And then like literally the next day takes herself way out of the way so that she can go on a nostalgic journey to that same spot, which I understand. But it's like, I'm sorry, you couldn't share that with your friend Rhonda and Postal Boy. Um, forget his name at the moment. Thank Seth. you, Seth. So we've talked a lot about how like the general saves the day arc always has an unrealistic amount of pressure on these girls. But we've also noticed that 
they suddenly have all these skills. So according to this book, Caroline is like an amazing conversationalist, right? Like she holds it down at dinner. She's like the best, not only at fishing, she's teaching people how to fish. She immediately recognizes an enemy ship and how to create several obstructions. Caroline knows her way around a sandbar like you would not believe. Caroline can pick up a new part-time job pretty much immediately. She starts delivering the mail. She needs no help whatsoever. She can find remote fishing camps, and she literally heals her father and then helps him in a kind of like... She builds a crutch and then she actually helps him escape from the woods. And I'm only laughing because it's a classic American girl Kirsten type situation where there is crisis and the Kirsten or the Kaya or the Josefina like is suddenly not only a healer, but like a specialist in disability. Yeah, it's like the I will be your father figure, like preacher, teacher, (laughs) anything you need. Like that's who the American girls always become in this in these moments where They have like, in a way that actually abstracts the uniqueness of their personalities, they have to take on every possible trait in a way that's like actually kind of jarring and takes you out of it a bit as in terms of this series as a whole, because you're like, wait a second. In the last book, she was acting very 10 in a way that I would understand 10, like emotionally immature, like trying to figure out relationships, trying to navigate friendship missing her dad, all of this stuff. It felt very 10 in a way that I found obnoxious, but whatever. Now it's like she's 10 going on. I don't even know what age. And her mom actually invokes her age when she's trying to justify how she can be a postal girl at this point. When she's like, well, she's like, mom, like I'm going to deliver the mail. I know where I'm going. I know what to do. And she's like, well, you are 10. So... She's like, I did pack you a breakfast and Seth is going off to war because he's 12. So, you know, it all makes sense. (laughs) It all all makes perfect sense. I just want to say this. Like, I think there's an alternate telling of this where dad is in the woods by choice. Oh, interesting. Well, I tell me more and then I'll tell you what my alternate theory was, too. So we're not really, you know, this we're not in the the world of dispensing advice casually. That said, Caroline is about to leave the fishing camp, right? She decides to walk there at the end of her new postal route because she's feeling like she's missing her father and she gets lost. But then she does start to find the camp and she's having all these feelings. And then in the book, we learn that she hears a, quote, low moan coming from the woods If you hear that, you do not go towards it. No, there was so, okay. Thank you for bringing up that scene because to me, that was the most disturbing scene in the book, even though it's meant to be the one that you're like, oh my God, like it's her dad. Wow. Like small world kismet. It's all happening. But to me, I was like, oh my God, as you say, she's wandering. First of all, she sees the guy in the canoe. Remember that? So she delivers her last piece of mail. We see her eating lunch, looking over a view. And she's like, oh, wow, I'm not that far from my treasured fishing spot with dad that I refused to visit yesterday in a boat, which would have been much easier, but moving on. Oh, she's like, I'm going to walk there. As she's walking, she doesn't realize how hard, how long it's going to take her on foot to get there because she's never walked there before. She finally gets there as she's like going down towards the shore. She thinks she sees a canoe like jutting out from behind a rock. And there's a guy in the canoe who she hears saying to another man, like, okay, I think we're just going to have to like camp here for the night or whatever. Like we'll have to stay out of sight. 
So I'm like, oh my God, these are deserters. And I think in the book, like grandma or somebody, of course, like calls out deserters and is like, men who don't do their duty, like get out. Like we all remember them from the revolution. So I'm like, oh my God, like Carolyn's alone with these creepy guys who don't want to be found out. So like, are they going to murder her? Like, I know that's not going to happen in an American girl book, but I'm thinking like, are they going to kill her to keep her quiet? Then she keeps going. And so when she having that context, when she's at the beach and she's like, oh my, here's a low moan coming out of the lean to, I'm like, girl, get gone. Like, what the hell are you doing? Like, this is like stranger yeah. danger stuff where I'm like, girl, you're living pre milk carton, but that could be you. Like, we might invent that technology for you in this book. So the beacons of the past actually tells a story of a young boy who goes for a walk and goes missing. And I feel like Kathleen Ernst, like something happened with the contract when she had to write this particular book because she was like, I'm going to push it. Like someone told her to incorporate that story and she was like, oh, you want danger? Like, I'll give you danger because she writes a lot of the mystery books. So I feel like she knows. I also can't help but feel that we were supposed to take something from the fact that this is her second chance to go to the fishing camp. And this came out pretty much the week that Obama was elected for a second time. Like, what does it mean? Like, what does it mean? Like, who is the moan? Is it Biden? I don't. Well, and you could also be like, Obama was elected in a sense, like on a good feeling that he would uh, he would bring the troops home and end the war on terror. Spoiler and shut down Guantanamo. Spoiler alert. None of that happened. He didn't bring the troops home, but I'm wondering if that's almost like a wish fulfillment moment, like in a sense, like your dad's coming home, like in the same way that I actually thought it was moving in the first or second book when we get an exploration of like the grief of children who are left behind mm -hmm. when their parents mm -hmm. are serving in the military. Like I would imagine that would be really moving if I was a child whose parent was a service member. I think like the weird machinations to use a very Allison term that go into the dad's return, make it like very hard to sit with this as being something quasi realistic. Also, she kind of becomes MacGyver in this book, like not yeah. for nothing, but to take us back to the beginning of the book, she's kind of jonesing to get out on the water. Like we, she loves water. Like, I don't know if she's a water sign, but like, that's where we're at. And creates this moment where she like has again another silent conversation with grandma where she believes grandma silently is telling <laughs> yes. her to take Rhonda fishing. And so she creates like the situation for that in a conversation at dinner. And she's like, grandma gave me a look like acknowledge, like nodding, like, yeah, you heard my silent like, you know, request and you did it. And again, we have the dad's workers having to make this happen for her. Like they have to bring the skiff out of storage and put it in the water for them. And they like seemingly just get out on the water and it's like already a problem. And Caroline immediately is like, as you say, a naval expert. And she's like, oh God, that's a British ship. Whew. She's like, oh my God, the Jack, whatever, the supply ship we've all been waiting for because the shipyard is about to shut down for lack of supplies. So she's like, oh my God, the supply ship. Like, yes. And then she's like, oh God, oh boy, nobody panic. Here we go. She's like, British ship, it's trailing them. What are we going to do? And seemingly before Seth has even clocked that that British ship is coming, she's like, oh my God, Seth, you don't even know. She was like, the supply ship's trying to go down this channels on a sandbar so that the British ship can't follow. And she was like, oh my God, but they're going to try to follow them. I know it. So we have to, we have to destroy this ship. That's what needs to happen right now. 
I do love the audacity of a 10-year-old girl thinking she can take on the most powerful Navy in the world. Yeah. And she's like, so I will say this too. This book, for whatever reason, well, for a lot of reasons, made me think of biblical tropes the most. And I feel like the Mm. last time we encountered this actually was Addie, right? Where there were a lot of religious overtures. But I kept thinking, like, what does it mean? Like, whenever I hear sparrow, I think of, right, like, his eye is on the sparrow, Sparrow. right? Like, that's what made me think of, like, there is a carpenter who plays an important role in a lot of her stories and, like, notions of, like, fishers of men and, like, fish, right? All these kinds of things kept coming to mind. The scene where she creates this kind of situation to force the obstruction so that, um, I'm using air quotes, Irish Jack can make sure that the supplies get out to the shipyard. It's kind of a bizarre thing and I started doing some quick searches and while I feel as though she could have known someone named Irish Jack, I'm I'm not sure why we went there, but again, maybe it's a commentary on Obama. I don't like, I Well, I thought it was like a weird counter to Union Jack. Yes. Okay. That's fair. But like an inversion. So it's like, well, like they're, they're not the Imperial, like the Union Jack. So they're like the Irish Jack, like they're cool and rebellious like we are. But I'm like, uh, a track. I don't know. Here's my thing. If you're not suspicious of grandma being a double agent by now, like I kind of don't know what to tell you because the yeah. more we get into her backstory, I do feel like grandma is at the very least an agent of something because you don't expect it. I was doing some digging, like, what is her name? She actually doesn't get given a first name. Mm. And I was like, yeah, that's because she has to live a quiet seeming life to get away with what she's doing like something is nefarious about grandma like all these quiet glances are not quiet to me she's taking notes and then it's like well we don't see where she goes when she's like i need to go get wood and caroline's all like i'll come and grandma's probably like oh god like this is when i pass my notes off and i'm also (laughs) wondering like back in the revolution she's like my husband died did he? Excuse me. he died. And I actually think he did. But wait a second. What <laughs> if she's like, I don't really care because I'm in love with Benedict Arnold anyway. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? And he's like, look, obviously I'm married. And like the bigger story is this affair I've had with this other lady. But that's a front because you're the one and you're going to stay here and I'm going to like go elsewhere. But like we're all part of the same empire, if you know what I mean. Now, I don't know this to be 100% true, but I was doing some research about the summer of 2012 into 2013 when these things were coming out. And that is the era of we are never, ever getting back together with Taylor Swift. And it's like, we know the backstory on that. That said, I see a really profound connection between her subsequent alliances and current alliances with British men and just kind of the way that this book goes down. Like, I think part of the crisis that's happening is people in places like Sackett's Harbor are trying to say, like, we're never getting back together. And, you know, perhaps much like a certain DJ, like the British Empire just doesn't believe. Damn. That's like deep. I don't even know what to say about that. I don't I don't know that it is, but Wreck It Ralph also came out at the same time as this book. And I just don't think there's a connection there other than the fact that they are willing to destroy the family's uh, skiff, the sparrow, to create this obstruction. And the thing I do kind of love about Caroline still being 10 is she's afraid her dad will be disappointed in her. And it's like, 
okay, well, your choice was continue boat ride and possibly be kidnapped or disrupt the supply chain and save the shipyard. No one cares about the Sparrow. No one cares. I don't think anyone cares, but it is, that did feel very childlike. She's like, oh my God, mom's going to be disappointed. And dad, when he gets home, like he's not going to understand. And yeah, I mean, something that's weird is like, I kind of wish we had the interiority of like, of, um, Rhonda in that moment where like when Caroline's like, we got the ax, we got to chop this up. And Seth's like, you got it. Let's do it. And they jump out of the boat and are doing this. It's like, where's Rhonda at in that moment? I mean, last book, this lady didn't even want to get on the ice because, you know, it was like physical and she had a bad experience. And now it's like, wow, we're going right in. It's still cold. And we're also very much led to believe that Caroline's solution to other people's like tough times is like, well, we're going to do a thing I like to do. Like, I actually feel like we're replaying the previous book with the figure skating, except by now, five months later, Rhonda is just so worn down by her tricks that she's just willing to do it. Well, yeah, and it kind of makes me think about the Babysitter's Club episodes that we watched last night with the Patreon where there's a scene in one of the episodes without giving anything away where like the parent of one of the girls basically says, you want to quit this thing because suddenly it's not, everything isn't going exactly the way you want it to go. And that's sort of a big, important life lesson that, you know, sometimes in life you just have to roll with things and it's not always what you want, but you have to deal and you can grow from that. And I kind of think you're exactly right that this is this book is the plot of the last book playing out again, except they've removed any ambiguity about whether or not she's going to get her way and be treated as a hero for it. It's like, well, of course, like everyone did what she wanted and she gets lionized for it. And there's no other like middle ground or challenge, really. Seth also very much plays a Ben role. If you think mm-hmm. back to the Felicity books where like things start to get a little bit weird with like the young girl that he's associating with a lot. And I don't mean that to like imply anything. It's just like the dynamic has played out now over four books. Seth immediately decides that it's time for him to enlist and to serve his country. And it really does very much have like a Ben approach where it made me feel kind of strange because these books are presenting us with all these interesting and dynamic ways that young girls get to serve their country and be patriotic. And Ben has been doing something really important with delivering the mail. Like he actually has really played this pretty critical role. And then for whatever reason, this skiff crisis, maybe he is sick of Caroline, I I can't say, pushes him to finally just say that he's going to leave the community and to join the military. And it it is kind of an interesting comment on like the dearth of options for him, right? Like mm. the men who are building the ships for the Navy, the men who are doing the other defense work, they're really in the background and they're not portrayed honestly as very bright. Like when we think about mm. how Caroline tricked them with basically a handkerchief, <laughs> it is kind of an interesting dichotomy between like grandma who's like, I've seen more. Grandma's we'll like, I've, I've lived, I won't tell you half of what I've done or seen, but I've been out there. And like service has all these different meanings for these women in this community. It's something that people have commented on in review after Mm -hmm. review, like appreciating the complex nature of these women's lives. And like we've said before, these communities of women, 
all, pretty much all of these books have started around a meal or have started around mm. a conversation that people are having where they have something like a vibe check. How are things going? And it's like, not good, right? But but we're having <laughs> a discussion about the war to kind of catch us up. Well, and I do think that gender piece is really important here because actually it seems like all the women in the book are extremely capable and it's only that they've been waiting for a circumstance to kind of allow them an outlet for all the things that they can do seemingly just by instinct. Like Caroline, as we've noted, can thwart a British naval ship um, she can figure out the, to cut up her prized carpet is that it will be appropriate cannonball, you know, all of these things that she like how to, you know, she can seemingly use celestial navigation to get anywhere. She's saving dad. She has this healing knowledge. See, grandma is like largely a, like kind of a conduit or a parallel to her. And God only knows what else she can do. And the mother, let's not forget, is running the business. We're not hearing any difficulties in her ability to do that. And what are the men offering us in this moment? So it's like the war is kind of like a release valve where women are like, oh my God, we get to do all of this stuff, which is commonly a story about gender in wartime for women. But for men, it's like all of the men seem like extremely helpless. And you have to wonder, like, what is the Seth trajectory if the War of 1812 hadn't happened? Would he just have continued to deliver the mail? Was he okay. ever aspiring to a trade? Like, what We're was his plan? We're getting some insight. Like I like triple earmarked this page when things start to go bad and like literally start to go down. Caroline kind of bursts out. Do you see anything else we can dump into the channel? Because first they're just trying to obstruct with what's already there. There's nothing. Seth clenched his fists. I think we have to give up. Like he's angry. He's doing the Arthur pose with like the clenched fist at his side give up. Those two words made Caroline so angry. We can't let the British get the bateau. I apologize if I said that word wrong. Mama needs the supplies and on and on. And basically like Seth still brings nothing to the table. And finally, Caroline says, I have one more idea. We can sink Sparrow. And Seth is like bringing nothing. He's like, we can't do it. Like it can't be done. But I find that moment really fascinating where all of the creativity comes from mm. Caroline and to the previous points of like, she does kind of push others to do as she wishes. But in these moments, she is actually like really stepping up in this hugely vital way. We've talked about this before too. Like in some ways, you'd have to be 10 to think this is a good idea. You would have to be 10 and you have to have that like weird confidence of a child who's like, yeah, I can do this. Like no problem. But it's also, it's like, I don't know if it's also that we are not seeing the interior life of um, Seth or Rhonda in the, in this exact moment as well to know, like, do they also have ideas? They just feel afraid to say them. Or is Seth literally like the lights are on no one's home? Like, I don't know. Cause it's also like when she goes later on to do his postal route, it's so clear that he gets to actually maneuver in such a big geographic area compared to everyone else who lives in the community. And he's exposed to all these different people. So you would think, and he's like also delivering newspapers, which you could theoretically imagine he's reading as he walks in some cases, or perhaps in a tavern where they would be hanging on the wall. So he has all these opportunities, presuming he's literate, to be learning things that Caroline isn't. And so it is kind of shocking in that moment that he's like, ah, no idea, no clue. I do think part of it is the general lack of ideology, right? Like it is hard to point to a terribly sophisticated ideological basis for this war, whereas 
Felicity and Ben can have, even on a 10 or 12-year-old's level, conversations about freedom. Like, this war is about trade, and it is about empire, and that's kind of the most that they can talk about. I honestly was wondering, so knowing that his role as kind of a bringer of print culture to the community, right, to your point, like, I do wonder if maybe he becomes a peddler at some point. This is the same year that Pride and Prejudice comes out, and I do wonder if Caroline gives it a read. I mean, I would love that for her. I believe Sense and Sensibility was the first Austin novel printed and circulated in the U.S. I do wonder if she read Pride and Prejudice. Like, I would... I would be fascinated to know, actually. I need to go back and look. There was a time when I did track the publication of that in the U.S. and how it spread, but... I, it's escaping me now, but that is a that is an interesting point. I'd have to imagine that along with the disruption of vital supplies, there was a disruption in British books, right? That would be coming to people living in a place like this for sure. Yeah, definitely. And also at this point too, there's not what people would call like an American print tradition. Not really. I mean, as you're saying, it would be mostly circulated or reprinted in the United States editions of British texts or classical texts or things like that. So I think there's still a search to develop what people would call an American culture and not to bring Andrew Jackson into frame, which nobody wants at this point or ever in the War of 1812 conversation, at least from my perspective. I do think people look at him and the kind of like the followers that he created that and cultivated to kind of say like he is someone who is like truly born of the United States, like he's representing this, like all of these caricatures that come to stand in for what it means to be an American. But that will come later. He actually puts out his own autobiography, not to go back to my earlier moment in the sun as a campaign biography expert, but he hires someone to write his campaign biography right after the war and that person dies while writing it. Purposeful, like, does that mean something? Who can say? Then he hires someone else to take his notes and finish the book. And then he keeps having it edited as he wants to address like certain accusations against him to make him seem more scholarly, et cetera. But all to say at this point, I'm trying to imagine what American books are out there. And I'm, I mean, it's like notes on the state of Virginia, things like that. But I don't know that like what people in this town would be reading. Now I need to look into this. So we mentioned on a previous episode that this is around the time that the publication of Lewis and Clark's right mm -hmm. expedition is getting bigger, Washington Irving. And someone actually pointed out to me that Washington Irving was living in Sackett's Harbor and would mm. have been a contemporary of Caroline. Um, is it one of her stunts that leads to his scarier stories or his bio of wow. Columbus? Probably, honestly, like he probably saw what Caroline was doing on ships and was like, you know what? I've seen what I need to see. Gonna go ahead and shut that down. Speaking of presidents, uh, listener Caroline, I apologize, Caroline on the brain. Caitlin Kay wrote to us to tell us that President Ulysses S. Grant, also the namesake of my first cat that I owned completely on my own, wow. um, and his wife, Julia Grant, were stationed at Sackett's Harbor in the 1840s. And this listener kind of imagined a world in which Caroline is still like dipping into things she shouldn't. Those are my words. And is like entertaining them, hosting them. But what's cool is you can actually read in both Julia and Ulysses' respective memoirs about that experience from 
different perspectives. So we'll Hmm. link to those. But she highlighted just for us um, kind of that specific period in time. And she used to work at the Grant's home in St. Louis. Wow, really interesting. I've never read Julia Grant's memoirs. Ulysses S. Grant's memoirs are interesting. Have you read those at all? I have not. So I was six when I named my cat that because the breed he was, he needed to be a U that year. So he was going to be Uzi. And then I named him Ulysses. Excuse me, Uzi? <laughs> yeah. So he was a wow. paramilitary guy. No, okay, um, got it. so I did name him that. Grant is someone who is super interesting to me, but I have not gone deep. That said, I know people who work at his home now who I super respect. So that's kind of the extent of my knowledge. Interesting. All I know is that his memoirs are published by Mark Twain and they were published and written because he was diagnosed with cancer and was dying and he had invested the money he made in his previous years and in the war with people who like basically made terrible investments and you know, he lost all of his money. So he wanted to earn money to leave to his family. So he wrote these memoirs. So I love that. I mean, he had a lot of incentive, but I, I think I've read some of them and they're, they're very, he's a better writer than, than other former presidents. I'll just leave it at that. I will say like you talking about kind of like those early biographies and like the development of American literature, that's obviously a whole field that people study. I think part of why Caroline is really appealing to me is she's the first character that I think it's more explicit and easier to see people working out in real time. Like what does it actually mean to be of this country? And I think- that's a that's a very significant contrast to both Josefina and to Kaya and to Felicity, right? Felicity is on the eve of the revolution. Josefina would have no concept in her stories mm-hmm. being part of a United States because that's not actually her life. Kaya is not of the United States in a significant way. And I think what's interesting is like you're seeing battles over empire play out in real time, but her grandmother being this connection, a living survivor kind of of the revolutionary years, like giving that scope and that perspective. I don't know that we've like seen that as well done in the other books. Like we haven't had that done this way. Like Kaya's grandmother was an awesome source, but it wasn't about the same thing, right? It was about her community. Whereas this is about like being a person in the United States and being part of this like newly emerging empire. Um, And I think it's like almost a disservice to say like, oh, well, Kaya and Josefina come along too. Like, no, they're not right. Like they actually are living on a different, a different journey. I actually think it's interesting to think about Josefina and Caroline together, because to me, I think they actually have a lot in common because they're both in like a borderland situation to me. Like Caroline has a greater sense of her national origin. And as you say, it's kind of defined against what is happening with the British empire, what she perceives. It's really just a definition about her everyday, the limitations on her everyday experience, which she understands is being caused by this other foreign power. That seems to be how she's defining what it means to be an American. Like, well, that means that my dad can build ships and trade freely and not worry about foreign attack. I would love to know how their community thinks about or has seen a shift in things like deference or towards something like democracy that's going to come in with Andrew Jackson and others, whether the degree to which it reaches her community would be interesting to know. But like someone like her grandmother would have understood deference really differently. 
And we don't really see a lot of deference, even within the politics of the, her own family. Like there's multiple times when Caroline says to herself, I should go home right now because my mom told me not to like definitely to be home before dark. And she doesn't do it. And, you know, there's also times when she's like, I shouldn't do this thing right now because grandma told me not to. And she just does it anyway, which is partly like being 10 in a way that I think we're meant to understand is timeless. But it's also like that would have really been a shift that would have been meaningful in this time. I do think, too, a book I really liked that I read last year was called Upon the Altar of Work. And it starts Mm -hmm. around this time period. And it's about changing ideas about child labor in the 19th century. And what I did think felt very accurate was the absolute acceptance that Caroline working just made sense, right? Like that we've established that Caroline is a laborer within her own family. And even as a girl of relative privilege that during the war, it just makes sense for her to take on this kind of postal role. And I think when we look back, right, we're or historians are kind of looking for people to have conversations where it's like, but is this temporary because of the war? No one is even having that kind of discussion because they're just trying to survive. So they are just kind of accommodating. That said, there is a very interesting Josefina connection in The Traveler's Tricks, A Caroline Mystery. May I tell you what it is? Yes, please. So someone did a lot of research on transportation and they did not want an inch of it to go to waste. So the entire peek into the past uh, of this book is similar to Caroline Takes a Chance, and it's all about stagecoaches. And I love that the author of this book in the back is like, I've done pretty much like anything you can imagine, have not been on a stagecoach. It's a regret. Anyway, so we learn a bit about what that travel is like. And then maybe one of my favorite lines that I've ever come across in one of these books, they talk about entertainment in this period, kind of like tavern entertainments or things that young girls may have actually been privy to um, as as travelers and, and people seeing things. So they talk about folks that would be itinerant that would come through. In small villages, magicians were especially suspect because people didn't always understand that the tricks they performed were illusions, not truly magic or supernatural. Like, maybe I don't understand. What? Excuse me? When a traveling magic show arrived at a tavern, it was sure to draw a crowd. Imagine how exciting it might be in a tiny village where nothing much changed to see a potato turn into a pocket watch or a coin vanish into thin air. Like, I think this is assuming things about change over time that are not real. And there is a line that I find particularly, like, it stuck out to me like a sore thumb elsewhere in there, which is about, like, the relative safety of that kind of transport. It is a direct indictment of Tia Dolores, who claims to be robbed. Excuse me? What happens? If you recall, the Tia D backstory is that all of these things happened to her on her journey. She's trying to garner sympathy because of the robberies that ensued while she is traveling in very much the same way as our friend Caroline. Never forget. I mean, we can never forget the lies of Tia Dolores. They're casting doubt. If I may, we also see Caroline in a repeat outfit in this book. And for some reason, this really matters to me because it actually made me feel closer to her because I think that we're getting a sense of like, how does this relatively well-off girl survive through a war? 
And once again, to quote Hilary Duff, you always dress in yellow when you want to dress in gold. Wow. I, I'm just putting that out there. Damn. Hillary always has to call me out <laughs> on the tough truths of life. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like it reminds me when Kate Middleton repeats a dress and people are like, oh my God, she's just like us. And it's like, uh, no, you know. Or when she wears what is genuinely just a classic piece of clothing and people are like, this is obviously sending a message about Diana. <laughs> and it's like a, a like plain black dress. Oh my god. I'm so terrified of that Diana musical that's on Netflix now. Like I can't I will be engaging it at some point. I I cannot engage it at this time. I feel like Caroline's grandma would be disappointed in us because we still care about the queen. That's hard. But again, it's also like we have internalized that like larger truth, which is like when you cut off the head of the queen, it's like you don't actually kill the queen. No, no. And I mean, this is literature from truly another time. This literature was produced in the same climate as Call Me Maybe. If you're about to denigrate Call Me Maybe, I'm, I'm not. Leaving. Okay. I'm not. I would never. I actually really like that song. Um, and I think part of what's interesting is like even now less than a decade later i don't think that song would be a success today because of the notion of calling someone in that way it would be like call me never that would be your version of that song okay that's fair i'm just saying <laughs> um <laughs> that's true <laughs> but i keep thinking about that line from that book about like what if you saw a magic show and you saw a potato turn into a pocket watch and it's like I kind of feel like if you were in an average tavern in this time, you'd be like, I mean, I can't eat a pocket watch. So like, I don't know what to do with this. You know what I mean? I mean, maybe they said it best on Arrested Development. It's not a trick. It's an illusion. Oh, boy. They say something else, but it's not appropriate for this show. Um, <laughs> I think what I find compelling about these peaks into the past is like where they try to draw distance between kind of like an us and a them right like mm. you would not believe that they had to ride on these stage coaches and like it would knock your socks off to know that like they had this other concept of magic and it's like i actually think people of caroline's time going through religious revivals had a highly complex sense of the metaphysical yeah 100 percent. i mean probably more than me you've seen me at a magic show Yes, I have. I'm not even going to speak about the last magic show you made me attend with you where that man seemed very nice. So I don't even want to say what I want, what I'm about to say, but some of the tricks went, he didn't complete some of the tricks, Allison. And then we all had to sit there as like, he was trying to link two rings together and one fell on the ground. And like, obviously they weren't linked and there was like an awkward silence and it was a tough moment. And I ended up like, and I was sort of like, is this like a performance piece where you're purposefully not doing this? You're not landing these tricks so that you solicit empathy from us. And then we all sort of bond with you in like a weird way that like we didn't anticipate coming into this magic show. I honestly am just going to focus on the tricks he did land, which to me was all of them. Uh, okay. I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I can't speak on that at this time. I'm not like a magic show person. So like I get really freaked out by like magicians, I guess. If you name a top magician, I've seen them. Chris. Um, Chris Mind Angel. Freak. You've seen um, Mind David Freak. David Copperfield, Penn and Teller, Teresa Caputo. Let's call it what it is. I, mean, I, I love a good magic show. 
again, just another, just kind of like thinking about like the cosmos at the time where this book like came into the world. I'm sad we didn't read it as friends back in 2012, 2013. Like reading headlines of those era, like that era, it was like Obama reelected. You need to know about Call Me Maybe. And then it was like Twilight Breaking Dawn, breaking all the records, Twilight, oh like God. going to the top of the charts. I mention this because I feel like in 2012, we were going through it, but we have now very other low points like 2016, 2020, but 2012 was weird. Like the fact that we as a society needed Twilight, Breaking Dawn, and Wreck-It Ralph as bad as we did. And Carly Rae was like, you can call me or not call me. I'm not sure. Like, I'm willing to hang in. What a metaphor for our time. I don't even like your, I'm staring, listeners, I have my head on my, my hand on my forehead. I'm staring into space. You invoking Twilight Breaking Dawn has broken me because you've taken me right back to the context of me reading that book, which I think I've shared with you off air, but maybe not on, which is listeners like I hate flying, which I have shared. I went to visit some cousins of mine in Ireland with my family we're flying back and I am in the airport and I'm like, listen, I need a book that's going to get me through this flight. And I'm like looking over my shoulder. I'm in a foreign country. Nobody knows me. And I'm like in the airport. I'm like, okay, I'm going to buy something I would not necessarily buy in the States, like in front of you, in front of somebody I know. And I buy Breaking Dawn. Okay. Irish edition. I hop on this plane. It's taking off. My mom turns to me and is like, I know you're afraid to fly over the ocean. Would you like an Ambien? Okay. Now I've sworn off Ambien years before because like it has a certain effect on me. I am sitting next to a stranger. I start reading this book. I should say I've read like the other Twilight books ahead of this again in secret. This woman, all all I remember, I take the pill. All I remember is this woman says, oh, is that one of those Twilight books? Can you tell me about Twilight? I don't know what happened next. I'll just say that. I went somewhere in my head. Something happened. Then I sort of felt, I believe I fell asleep. Apparently I didn't. And I ended up like bonding with this complete stranger about Twilight. Plane lands. I wake up. I think I'm waking up. I guess I'm just sobering up. This woman hands me a piece of paper with her phone number. And she was like, what we have shared on this flight. (laughs) She was like, what we have shared on this flight is so beautiful. She was like, sometimes people meet for a reason, just like in these books, as you've explained to me. Again, I don't remember what I said about these books. And she was like, I just feel like you're a friend for life. And, you know, here's my number and whatever. And my mom is like, what? Like Mimi, like what is going on with you? And I'm like, I, to this day, have no idea what I said to this lady, but she was like, you have shared with me a truth about Twilight that is so deep that I believe we are, we were fortunate to be here together and we must be friends for life. I promptly lost that piece of paper. I don't know where she is now. Sorry if you're out there. And that's the last time I took Ambien. I can't be trusted. It's like, what's the greater drug, Twilight or Ambien? I don't know, but you shouldn't combine them. That's all I'm saying. No, no, you shouldn't. Stephanie Mayer, I don't think would encourage that. Oh my God. I just, I'm like. Tell me she said, call me maybe. Tell me she said that. (laughs) I don't think she did. Like, I don't know if she was at that place. Like if she was like hep to that, I want to say she was like my mom's age or so again, like the, the vision in my mind of her face is blurry mostly because of the ambient, but, um, this is a 30 rock skit also. <laughs> well, I mean, when I did see that episode later and I was like that, I believe Tina Fey apparated Oprah in that situation. That's not what happened to me. I, I was probably a huge mess. I don't even know what I said. 
my brother got off the plane with me and he was just like, I'm embarrassed for you. Like, I don't know what happened here today, but like, this is messy. And he was right. He was right. Um, I don't, you know, I feel like from there, it's like, all I want to keep doing is going back to Hillary Duff. Like when I tell you, I feel like if this song has had to be in my head for days, it needs to be in everyone's head. Um, you do just what you're told. You keep waiting where you are, but you never know. Like that's, that's kind of the guidance that we were getting in our formative years. Like that lack of clarity. Um, it's no wonder we're a country of Carolines. I don't know. Are we though? Like, are we a country no. of, I mean, can you draw a direct line though from Caroline to like girl boss culture? Can I? Sure. Will I? Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I think it's inevitable that no one in this book was like, you can't do it. No. Like if anything, like this is the venture capital, like, like nightmare dystopian future that we're living in now, which is like, as long as you just keep pushing and you get enough people to donate to you, like you can do anything. Like, that's what I thought about reading this book. I think, and this is not merely a plug for the Caroline Craft Fair, I think part of why that was an interesting idea to us was thinking about enjoying doing things that feel meaningful to you that don't need to have any other purpose. Think of a single time in this series where one of Caroline's schemes hasn't involved a ton of work, right? Like from Mm. the figure skating to like the carpet that she wanted that ended up turning into like cannonball fodder, literally. But even in this book, it's like she takes up this postal route. She could just chill out. I mean, she absolutely could. She could stay in a domestic sphere and literally do the work of copying letters for the records of the business as her mom is requesting at one point in this book and but even that's like like work that is work but i mean she could she is of like a certain privilege that she doesn't really have have to do that much work no and she has grandma doing like seemingly all the work and god knows what else grandma's up to as a spy but Like, coming full circle, if you remember in one of our very first episodes, we talked about Felicity resisting the making of the apple butter. And she was like, I have my own stuff. And that stuff was mostly shenanigans, but I think there is something, and there's there's many labor issues in those books, but there is something kind of fascinating about, like, the go, go, go of Caroline in the American Girl book that I have that features large photographs. One of the things that she's holding is a top like that you would spin Mm. with some thread off of it. And I think that's a fascinating symbol for this character because she kind of is always spinning like a top. There really isn't a time where Caroline is just kind of coasting. Like literally her wanting to go ice skate is not about just having pleasure or like coasting on the ice. She's like, there will need to be a sled. There needs to be rope. There needs to be games. Mm -hmm. Someone sent us a beautiful photo of making ginger snap cookies and someone separately like made the dinner that was described in the previous book. Whoa. And they were like, I'm just vibing listening to this and making this. And I was like, first of all, you can send some cookies directly to our P.O. box if you wish. (laughs) No pressure. I'm joking. Mm -hmm. We would love it. But it was just kind of a nice thing of like hearing this story about this girl that's always spinning like a top and saying, no, I'm actually just going to chill and do this thing that I like to do. 
Yeah, I agree. And I think it kind of relates to, to some writing that Anne Helen Peterson's been doing lately about living through our own times. And she did a really interesting piece on like doom scrolling and like the sort of like therapeutic effect of that. Like you go to bed and you know, you need to go to sleep, but you're just like scrolling on social media and you can't stop. And that isn't like productive work per se. And it also isn't actually relaxing or therapeutic, but we all find ourselves doing this and no one knows why. And that's what she's kind of exploring. Whereas in crafting and doing things like that, I do really think it does focus your mind to just what's in front of you and what you're making with your hands and, you know, whether you're cooking this dinner or crafting or whatever, So it is interesting to think about the difference of her like spinning a top in book one and what that does for her, even when dad's like, hey, can you pay attention versus when she's like doing all of this other like almost seemingly like as you're saying, she becomes the top that's spinning. Yeah, that's interesting. And for the craft fair, honestly, do anything that you'd like. People have asked, like, can I do this? Can I do this? We're going to try to put something together that's interesting to look at of all different people's submissions. Folks have already done really fascinating stuff. I will say that my output thus far of what I have made is mediocre, but I am trying to make it look a little bit better. What are you doing? Uh, so I'm making two different things and I will show you off air, but but neither is quite going exactly as I'd hoped. So I'm working on it. I also decided in a moment of just knowing myself, I was going to try to make a muff for me and for my doll. And you know what? It felt extremely complicated. That's a big and swing. So yeah. Taking advice from you from the babysitters club i'm just being nice to myself and i'm just not doing it because it's really hard (laughs) it's hard and i'm glad you said that first thing about whatever you're making is not going well because you're raising an important point about all of this which is that the outcome does not matter the reason that we're doing this is because the process will be more valuable than the product of course we would love to see what everyone's making but my wish and i think our shared intention is that you know, I know in my own life, when I do something artistic or creative, like the real reason I'm doing it is because when I'm doing it, as I say, it makes me focus my mind to just what's in front of me. And I find that so useful for myself with everything going on in the world. So if you know something that you enjoy making, somebody wrote to me and was like, can I make a craft cocktail? Fine. Can I invent a recipe? Great. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like everyone has different interests and skill sets, but this isn't about like you're trying to win a spelling bee. It doesn't no. really matter if you're the best. And in fact, like that's the wrong intention. Like it's the climb, as Miley would say, not to like take us off Hillary, but it's really about the process. And so don't worry if the things you're making aren't going the way you want. Like as long as you enjoy making it, like I think that's all that matters. We also just have so many fun things this month. We loved watching Babysitter's Club with some of you. We are scheduling another watch along, so be sure to watch. The film that was chosen was Practical Magic, but we've had lots of interest in other things. Um, It's also never too early to think about what you'd like us to cover in November and December. Uh, Just knowing that Jamie Lynn Spears is speaking up, it's like, who knows what else is going to enter the ether. But our October Patreon read along, if you like to read with us, is the book Something Upstairs by the author Avi. Uh, So kind of a fun symmetry. Last year, we did something from Mary's hometown. We did The Witch of Blackbird Pond. And this book happens to be set in Rhode Island. It is not the town that I grew up in, but it is the town I work in now. So, which I had forgotten. (laughs) Interesting. 
Yeah, we're really excited to cover that on our next Patreon episode. And as Allison said, we have the Watch Along channel on our Discord where we all meet up and watch things. And, you know, it's cool because the listeners kind of organize their own watch alongs too. So it doesn't really have to be what we love is like this community isn't really about us. It's about the community. So if you join it, you can meet a lot of other really cool people. And, you know, it's just a very affirming space. So we're looking forward to next month as well. For sure. And if you're going to write Caroline Abbott and Ulysses and Julia Grant fanfic, just give me a heads up. That's all I ask. Oh, my God. And, you know, I think we had said we wanted to give people a chance to share their hot takes, their book reviews with us. We've seen some people are reading along with us, which is really cool. Um, So, Allison, did you want to share out some information about that? Yes. So as you know, I am a lover of Goodreads and I love to read your reviews on Goodreads. It's something that I do for all of the books. And we've been noticing people are populating some of the more recent ones by noting that they're listening to the show or they're just adults who are going back and doing a reread. So if you would like to be featured on one of our next few Caroline episodes, uh, record a voice memo. You can do that right on your telephone and then email it to us and just give us your review of Caroline Book 5 or Caroline Book 6. It can be short and sweet, but even just kind of a thought that you've had, feel free to send that in to us. We'd love to feature it at the tail end of one of our next few episodes. So if you want to hear yourself on the show, please send us that voice memo. And for those unacquainted, if you have an iPhone or an Android, you should have a voice memo app where you can just do this and then quickly email it to us. So it's not it's not tricky. I know some people don't consider themselves techie and I get it. So this is a very easy thing to do. And we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. The other way to connect with us, we're at a girl's pod on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We have a website. You can also find us on Patreon and our store on TeePublic. Uh, thank you so much for all the support there. Mary, where can people continue to connect with you over figure and ice skating information? Oh my God. And yes, that reminds me on the Discord, we do have an Olympics channel where people are already getting hype about the Winter Olympics where we will be watching figure skating, just saying. So if you want to talk about the majesty of Michelle Kwan, please contact me on Instagram at Mimi Mahoney or on Twitter at Mary Mahoney123. Allison, if people want to get at you with theories about grandma's past, where <laughs> might they contact you? I'm at Allison Harks on Twitter and on Instagram. I would love to hear from you there. All right. So we're very much looking forward to our next episode. God only knows where we go next in this crazy war, but thank you so much for listening. We'll see you on the next episode.